If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to John chapter 4? We'll begin our reading today in verse 43. And I'm going to ask my wife, Shauna. She knew I was going to ask her uh, to come read, so this isn't a surprise. She'll begin reading in verse 43. After two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And he was going down. His servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Thank you, Shauna, for reading. If, if you asked a person what they wanted to get out of life, what they expected out of life, likely most people haven't thought through that question very deeply. But I would almost guarantee if you talk to someone long enough and said, well, what do you hope that life gives you? My guess is somewhere you're going to get an answer around I want life that is deep and meaningful. I want something where I'm loved and I love others. I want my life to be full, full with, of, of relationships that matter. I would imagine most people would say, I, I want to help and serve people. I want to make a difference. I want my life to count. I want a deep life. I think if they kept talking, you probably would also hear them articulate something that they want. They want life to be more than just about this life. It's interesting over the last few weeks where we've had a, a number of funerals and memorial services at our church, a pretty common, common refrain is, like even if someone passes away at 70 years old or 80 years old, that that came too soon. And I think there's something in, in our heart that says we want life to, to last. So we want life to be deep, but we also want life to last. And as much as people, I think, really want both of those things, I think a lot of people would be surprised that that's exactly what Jesus wants. That's exactly what Jesus wants for each person in this room, each person on this planet, that we would have deep and lasting life. As a matter of fact, a book in the Bible, the book of John, that which Shauna just read a moment ago from, is written so that we might know where life is and so that we might have it. How do I know that the whole book was written for that reason? Well, you get toward the end of the book in John chapter 20, and you don't have to turn there, but John chapter 20 and verse 30 says this, Now Jesus did many other signs 
in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But John, the human author of this particular book of the Bible, says, but these things are written. I I recorded these things, John says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life. And that word life in his name, that word life is deep and lasting. That's the whole purpose of the book of John being written, so that everyone might have deep and lasting life. That's why we've spent several months walking through these first few chapters of John, so that we might have an idea of what deep and lasting life is and how we might find it. In the first part of John, there's a series of encounters. So as we've read John 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, we've realized that Jesus would encounter someone And he would speak to them, and by the end of the conversation or by the end of the encounter, those people would recognize that he is the giver of life. Many times they would place their faith in him. I want us to look at that encounter that that we just read a moment ago, that encounter at the end of the book of, uh, or end of John chapter 4. And I really want us to look through this story because this story presents a few things in stages, and I kind of want to follow the stages. There's three of them that I see in this story, and I want us to look through this story and see what this particular portion of Scripture has to say for us. Can, can we see that the first part of that pattern is that often, and here's where we'll start today, we have a need that shakes us. We have a need that shakes us. So that we, we read about that in verse 46, the second part of verse 46. second part of verse 46 says this, there was an official whose son was ill. What a simple statement that is. So we've got an official, some ruler, who has a son that is sick. Simple statement, but it was a nightmare scenario for this official. We forget, don't we, because we live in 2019, because I'm in a few miles drive to AI hospital, and if I needed help, I could go to Johns Hopkins or go to CHOP or somewhere. We, we forget the benefits of modern medicine. We forget how devastating plagues and illness could be. We forget the child mortality rate, the infant mortality rate, how high it was even 100 years ago. We forget these things. But that's the world they were living in before modern medicine and hospitals and local pharmacies, where this probably for a parent who loved their kid, this would have been the one thing you feared, is there's some sort of fever and there's no like medicine or antibodies that are just easily, you can run to the pharmacy and get. It's interesting because this man, he's a ruler, he's an official, he has power. It says even in this story that he has servants, so he can tell other people what to do. He can get other people to do what he wants them to do. He has power and has control, and yet how quickly it could change for any one of us, how quickly it changed for him. This had to. I mean, I know it's a simple story. I don't think I'm reading too much into it to say this had to rattle his sense of control, his sense of power. His sense of, like, I have a position and I can, I can do what I want. His sense of peace. I mean, most dads, when they think about their kids, begin to, like, project something in the future for them. 
And all of that is rattled and shaken. Whatever security he had in that is gone. Life came to a screeching halt. And my guess is, my guess is that although we may not be in the exact position of this man, we have a taste of what it is like to have a need shake us, to really mess with us. All it takes is for a friend to betray you. And life looks different than it did five minutes before you knew of the betrayal. All it takes is for some challenge some difficulty within a marriage and you begin to ask questions that maybe previously you thought you were on firm ground and maybe now not as much all it takes is for some illness some diagnosis uh, hey you need to come into the office we need to talk then immediately things begin to be a lot less settled all it takes is for a recognition that although you were expecting a child, now you are miscarrying. All it takes for that is it, that one moment and then what you thought, what you had planned, what you had envisioned, all of that begins to be very unsettled. All it takes is you to lose someone that mattered to you, the death of someone that you, you deeply loved. All it takes is that. And, and all of a sudden, what felt like you were in control of things, you knew what tomorrow would hold. I mean, no one knows, but you kind of knew what tomorrow would hold, what a week would hold. And now a lot of that's gone. Maybe less dramatic, but just as real. All it takes is for you to be unemployed, to lose your job, or maybe even just underemployed. You have a job, but that job isn't really paying the bills. All it takes is for a financial crisis, some personal crisis, something about a job, something about where you live, something about your family, and the dynamic changes, and you know, okay, things are going to be unsettled for a while. You had all these plans, and what will you do now? A need shakes us and all the power we may have. Whatever position of authority that's on your business card or on the website that says you are this, all that means very little. So where does life go? We're not told, we can't read its mind. We're not told that the official's first thought was Jesus. Maybe it was. But I'm kind of guessing it, it may not have been. He may have thought of other ways to solve this personal crisis of his. I I think it's doubtful that his first inclination was to Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's lots of things, even as this story is introduced, that are, are a little bit confusing to me because it seems like Jesus recognized in Galilee, his hometown, a prophet has no honor there. But yet when he comes to Galilee, people welcome him. But there's this caveat. They welcome him because they knew he could do signs. They knew he could do miracles. And so maybe they welcome him only because of maybe what he could do for them. And so it seems like there's a mixed idea of who Jesus is and what he's there for. So what will go through this man's mind? I don't know for certain, but we know what he did. And that is he made a 20-mile trek to get to Jesus. If he's walking, that's probably six to eight hours. If he has some means of transportation, it's a little bit less, but it's not, it's not a lot less. But, but he goes and he finds Jesus, this need that shakes him. And frankly, what, what, what we may not realize is that things like this pop up to people all the time. 
it's easy for us to sing, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. But the fact is, even as we verbalize that, even as we sing it, and it may be true in our heart, we may actually feel that is true in our heart. There's other things that are pulling in a very different direction, unsettling us. That's what happens. I mean, that's what happens. That's what the burdens that we, we carry in. Maybe not as intense in any given one week for you, but maybe the person a row in front or a row behind or five seats beside you, that, that could very well be the scenario. There are some people who get that bad news or have this difficult thing, a need that they, really shakes them up, and, and they actually... They actually are not very strong in their faith or they don't really have any faith at all. And that may be you. God has got your attention and maybe that's even why you came today. You're asking questions you've never asked before. You're feeling something really out of your control and you don't know what to do about it. A need that shakes us. And so you might be like, have very little faith or no faith at all, but you might actually be strong in your faith. And this same kind of thing comes at you. Inevitably, even if we're strong, we'll have things that rattle us. That's not so much a sign that you're a sorry Christian as much as it's a sign that you're human and you live in a world that's messed up and broken. And none of us are bulletproof. And none of us are invincible. None of us can fortify our life to the point where it looks like the next decade is going to be smooth sailing for me. That just cannot happen. So a need shakes us, what comes next? Well, the man actually has an encounter with Jesus. He goes to Jesus. And what I want you to notice, even as he goes, is that Jesus both invites and challenges us. Jesus both invites us and challenges us. And I, I think we need to see both going on. So it says, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him in verse 47, and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. But then Jesus says to him, unless you, and the you there is plural, unless you people see signs and wonders, you guys are never going to believe. So at one level, Jesus was inviting something about what this man, this official had seen in Jesus or heard about Jesus, compelled him to go to Jesus. He goes a long way. He had some faith that compelled him to ask Jesus for a miracle. He had some faith that compelled him to really want Jesus to come down to where he was, something that made him leave the bedside of his son. I mean, that you, you know what it's like to be in an intensive care unit with someone you love deeply. Like, you don't want to leave. You at least want to be there so that if a decision needs to be made or you could care in a way that maybe no one else could, you want to be there, but something compelled him to go 20 miles and leave the bedside of his son. I think he found it that Jesus was inviting well, if you've been reading John, that's, if you've been coming over the last few weeks, that, that's the impression we've gotten as well. Jesus was an inviting person. That's why Nicodemus wanted to come to Jesus. That's why quickly the Samaritan woman figured out, I need him. That's why a whole town, based on her invitation earlier in John 4, comes out to meet Jesus, because there's something in him that is compelling. And that's what we go, well, of course, Jesus changes things. And the impression we ought to have is like, you ought to get to Jesus. You ought to hear from Jesus. That ought to be where we lean into. I, I don't even know your spiritual background and what you've been taught or what you've absorbed, what you understand, what you don't. But like the conviction of most Christians is like, you need to meet Jesus. You need him to be central in your life. 
He wants his son healed. He does whatever it takes for that to happen. But as inviting as Jesus is, he's also challenging. Jesus presses and actually says something that feels pretty harsh. Unless you all see signs and and wonders, you'll never believe. I don't know the tone that he said it, but whatever tone, it seems like, man, the guy was just asking for his son to be healed. Why does Jesus... Why does Jesus deal with this man this way? As a matter of fact, Jesus actually deals with several people in this way where he'll ask a clarifying question or make a clarifying statement. Is Jesus skeptical of where people are? I think the answer would be yes. In the book of John, he certainly is. Is Jesus willing to clarify? He certainly is. How different this is. And I was thinking of just like the polar opposite of this. The polar opposite of like stopping and clarifying and making sure everybody knows what's going on is what happens when I am trying to set up an account on any sort of website or any sort of app. So to do that, I have to sign some sort of user agreement, right? And so there's like 27 paragraphs. And I'm scrolling, 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 scrolling. I just want to like sign in my account or I just want to like, I just want to get to the app. But no, there's this update and I'm probably, I'm probably signing away my firstborn child. I, for all I know, I don't know what I'm signing. And I doubt you read it either. I, I don't even think those things are made to read, are they? I mean, it's just made to scroll, scroll, scroll. I mean, there's some diligent souls out there that surely read it all. I, I don't, you don't probably either. So we just go through and we go, I just want to use the app. Sure, mine all my personal data. It's fine. No problem. Sure, send me all sorts of things that I never signed up for. It's fine. It's really, I just want to use the app. So I hit agree, and they're not clear, or at least they're not helpfully clear on what all I'm agreeing to, how different it is with Jesus. What Jesus is not looking for is some cheap follower. They'll say, oh, sure, I, I'm in. I'll agree. Where do I sign? It's all good. I like what I've seen. Count count me in. Sign me up. So often Jesus does this. And it's, it's it's a little strange if you just want to build a big crowd. But he will press people and go, do you know what, do you know what you're agreeing to? So the same Jesus that will invite and say, follow me, will say, unless you're willing to deny yourself, you're not ready to be my disciple. And he'll challenge like that. He'll invite and challenge at the same time. It makes sure that we really ask the questions, what do you really want from Jesus anyway? What do you really expect him to be anyway? Is Jesus just going to be for you your on-demand cheerleader that will never question one of your decisions, but he'll just cheer you on every decision you make and just always, best thing you ever could have done. Is that what you expect? Jesus will stop and clarify. Jesus will stop and clarify. Are, Are is all you want out of your relationship with Jesus just for him to be like kind of this uh, invisible therapist that will just give you some tips and helps for coping with all of life's hard things? Or, or did you really want Jesus to just be your servant, to do your bidding? Or did you expect Jesus to be kind of like a genie, giving you all your wishes? Or maybe not all, but enough to like, Just, I want control, approval, power, pleasure. Yeah, we'll start with those all the time. Is that, is that what you expected? 
Is that why you're following Jesus? It's just interesting to me that Jesus will kind of slam the brakes on and and take this moment to clarify what's going on because God is king and he's also love and myself being the ruler of the universe, if God were to let me try to live my life that way and only use Jesus as a means to an end I wanted, that would be a pitiful life to live. And Jesus loves me too much not to call me on that deception. There's a kind of faith. And I think we need to be clear about this, especially in this time. There's a kind of faith in which you kind of believe, but you also get to call the shots. Even the shots with God. You never voice it this way, but you get to pray, my kingdom come, and you need to bless it. My will be done, and you need to make it happen. And Jesus just serves as the best means to the end. Sure, you're glad to call on God occasionally. And there's a faith where you can even identify as a Christian. Throw a prayer up every now and then when you need to. Talk in spiritual terms and tones. And even talk about believing God. But it's not really about God. It's about you. There's a kind of faith that always needs a little bit more. I think that's the faith Jesus was calling out. Well, I'll believe if you can just, if I just pass this class, if you just make this happen, if you just make this relationship work, if you just do this, if you just give me that job, then, then I'll really believe and really give you my life. But it's funny how those goalposts keep moving. Because when you get to there, it's, yeah, if you just do this one more thing. Faith might be simple, but it's rarely easy. It costs. It costs something. Jesus is willing to press. Things get desperate for this man, and it's telling. Jesus says, you know, unless you see the signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And the official said to him, it's almost I can hear the, the weariness in his voice. Like, I, I don't know about all that, but unless you come down, my son's going to die. Come down. And at the heart of that approach to Jesus is a humility and just asking. And that's how we all go to God. In humility and just asking. Not flexing. Not parading our achievements. But just asking in humility. And notice the response. What Jesus says to him is in verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. If you notice the wording there, though, it's still inviting and challenging because he had asked Jesus to come down with him. And Jesus challenges him here by, he says, you go. So the invitation was, Jesus, come, come, come. And I know you can do something. And now Jesus presses a little bit further and he says, you go. And your son's going to make it. Where are we at that point? It's a pivot point. And at that point, kind of the next dimension of the story is I recognize we have to take a step of faith. Not 15 steps. But we have to take a step of faith. Your son is going to make it. The request mattered to Jesus. Jesus heard him. Jesus valued this man. What do we do with that? What do we do with Jesus saying, you need to go. Your son's going to be okay. That man had a choice. Do I entrust everything to Jesus? Do I leave? Do I listen? For the man, it was really, really simple. Will you take your first step home in trust? 
And will it be not by sight, because you can't see your son doing better? Will it be by faith? Will it be by his word? And I love what verse 50 says, because John, it just makes it so, so clear. It says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And based on that word, he went his way. I, I think it's still that way. Jesus gives his word, and then we have, we have a decision to make of whether we will believe the word that Jesus has. Because we're still walking not by sight, but by faith. We still hear what Jesus says, but we don't see it. And so when Jesus says, if you give up, everything for my sake, you will be rewarded. We can't see that immediately. We can't see that. We have to take Jesus' word for it. We have to decide, am I going to believe the word of Jesus? When Jesus says, no one can like snatch you or pluck you out of my father's hand, will we believe that? Or will our feelings override that? Because we cannot see it. When Jesus says that I will give you peace Will we believe that even though our circumstances, what we see is telling us something very different? When Jesus says, I will send another comforter to you, the Holy Spirit, will we believe that or will we, will we go by only what we see? When Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. When Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. Will we believe that even though we can't see it? Will you believe that? In other places in scripture, when all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, you won't see all that. Will you believe the word that Jesus spoke? This man had to take his first steps back home without the guarantees. Jesus honored that faith in verse 51 as he was going down, this being the official, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. He asked them exactly like what time it was. And they said, yesterday, the seventh hour, that's when the fever left him. And the father knew, knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. I love this story. Because so far in John, we've heard how Jesus says he can bring new life, says you must be born again, says he's the living water. But now we see something even different, and it's just the taste of what it means for Jesus to be not just one who talks about giving life, but actually does it. It's just the taste that, yes, he is the resurrection and the life. Yes, it is he who has authority over even things like life and death. What, what amazing power Jesus shows. There's more to come. There will be crucifixion and resurrection and ascension and a commission. But Jesus will confirm that life and death ultimately are in his hands. And it says what the man does is he it says in verse 50 that he believed. But in verse 53, it says it again. Because I think there had to be something in verse 53 where after knowing what Jesus had done, he would say, I believe before, but now now I really believe. I don't know how he would have described it. My faith was shaken and I believed in Jesus, but now, oh, I have such confidence in who Jesus is. And the impact was his whole household believed as well. So today, for those who are here, I do want to issue 
what I would call like a challenging invitation. A challenging invitation for those who do not yet know Jesus. What I want to call on you to do is to take a step of faith, hear the words of Jesus and evaluate them and ask God to help you understand and believe. Seek out a friend or someone that can help you understand. Could, could you go to them? And maybe the step of faith is, can you read the Bible with me? Because I hear Curtis talk about the words of Jesus, and I just, I don't know that I have that kind of faith yet. I don't know like, if I'm like all of the people that seem to be here who have faith, but I want to take my next step of faith. Maybe you seek that out. Maybe you find a pastor or, or someone to talk to afterwards. We'd be glad to have that conversation. Maybe you aren't 100% there. And I'm not telling you to take 25 steps. I'm saying, what is the next step of faith? And you say, I've heard and I'm interested. Or maybe you say, I do believe. What's next? You call out to the Lord and say, I, I think I'm believing, Lord. Help. God honors that. God rewards those who diligently seek him. So there may be those who actually, you would say, I, I am a follower of Jesus. I, I am his disciple. I am a Christian. And this passage might have been like God's lifeline to you this morning Because in this passage, you see, there really are things that shake our faith. But in the middle of this passage, you're reminded that Jesus still cares. And Jesus still hears. And Jesus still knows. Your world might have been rocked. And Jesus still cares. What is your next step of faith because he is calling on you as he's calling on me as he's calling on all of us to trust to take him at his word what's your next step of faith will you meet jesus in this story and actually he, he might be writing your story this morning of something that blew up your world but was an invitation and a challenge and now you start walking with him in faith What I want to pray is I want to pray for all of us, all of us to have that sort of faith, that God would do his good work in us so that we might believe. Can I ask you to bow your head? Lord, uh, I thank you for a picture of Jesus and just the clarity we have of how he helps in our time of weakness and our time of crisis. So God, give grace, and I pray, especially for those who are believing, but maybe have a lot of unbelief that they're working through. For the person that is hearing your words, inviting, but also wrestling with all the challenges, I pray you would move them to do what they might not do on their own. Move them to to talk to someone, to cry out to you, to pray to you to reach out, to to pray prayers maybe they've never prayed before. I pray that you would do that even this morning, even before we leave. I thank you that you see even weak faith, even the first steps of faith, and you're honored by those. Be honored by them this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.